We're just listening to the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir. church and state so <laughs> and uh we missed you last week but you know we're so glad you're here and man was the organ great jonah thanks can't take any credit for that but yeah it was fun to hear the organ but we did miss you and we're glad to have you back well it's good to be back happy new year yeah, yeah happy new year everyone uh, this is the house of mercy and welcome to it rise and join with us, number 26. begins, we pray for good news. 
something that might enable the weary world's rejoicing, not just like surface festivity, but at least a flicker of something so good we can feel it all the way through our bodies and souls, the excitement or potential of a love so vast it could free us from resignation, a mercy that goes so deep we might be released from animosity or self-hatred or whatever it is that keeps us closed and stagnant. I'm pretty sure you've been breathing this into us all along, but may, as we turn the calendar year, help us to notice. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. Let's pass the peace in a health-conscious manner. Many years I've been looking for a place to call home. I failed here to find it, so I must travel on. I'll care for fine mansions, honor sink and sand. Lord, build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. Yes, build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. In the shade of that tree of life, it may ever stand Where I can just hear the angels sing and shake Jesus' hand Lord, build me a cabin in the corner of glory land Blessed Lord, I'm not asking to live in the woods For I know I'm not worthy of such splendor as this I'm asking for mercy while humbly I as we begin this, the third year of the pandemic, and the next chapter of climate catastrophe, help us not to be too weary to maintain our resolve not to give in to the forces of destruction in the world, but to follow you, the infinitely creative, the inexhaustible lover, the boundlessly merciful. As you put down the mighty from their thrones, lift up the lowly, Fill the hungry with good things. 
Help us follow you even if we ourselves have enough food or money or good fortune to get by in this revolutionary love. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, help us to be less self-centered, that we might be freed from our narrow interests into some sort of wonder at what surrounds us. Help us care more for the intricate web than our self-interest. Help us recognize that we only flourish in relationship to every little thing around us. We are often a very destructive species. Help us mend our ways. God, in your mercy. We pray for love this new year, for something expansive and gracious and kind, something that allows us to allow others to be who they are without judgment or condemnation or scathing critique. Give us what we need to forgive our spouses and parents and friends and children and neighbors and in-laws for being other than how we might conceive they should be. That we would not be fault-finding, but search out the beauty. That we might be vulnerable instead of condemning. That we might be freed by love. God, in your mercy, we pray for something new in the new year, that we might actually break old destructive patterns, that we might lose maladaptive behaviors, that we might not cling to what we think helps us survive, but actually diminishes life. Teach us to desire what you desire, that we could flourish and contribute to the flourishing of all those we encounter. God, in your mercy, God of mercy, we pray for an end to sickness, to this pandemic. Or if it never really ends, we pray for great science and less suffering. We pray that our healthcare workers would find strength and endure, that our grandparents might survive, find great peace. We pray for moments of reprieve for the tired and the lonely, to those suffering from depression and anxiety to those who have physical maladies, spiritual hopelessness, to those who are navigating the difficulties of aging. God, in your mercy. And now we pray that you will hear the prayers that we bring to you. May we articulate our hopes for the new year, our fears and longings. Remind us of what it, it might be helpful for us to confess as we pause for extended silence. Lead us to the mercy, amen. Free to all 
from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinus was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. The word of God. Hey, hey, everyone. Thanks for inviting me to be here today. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I've been in the House of Mercy community for about 15 years, in and around. Um, you don't see as, me as much around now because I'm a pastor at a church in Columbia Heights, uh, just outside Northeast Minneapolis. And uh, I wanted to thank you for being this amazing place. Um, I know just as I was leaving uh, Bethel College, um, I was a young and deeply indoctrinated young person, and uh, this was a place where I got to uh, work out a lot of my demons um, from the way that I was raised, and I think a lot of people have done that, 
And uh, it's cool because I see a lot of people that were really small when I first started coming here that are like burgeoning adults now. And hopefully you all don't even know about the trauma I'm talking about. You just are living your own best lives without evangelicalism or anything. Um, so I wanted to take a few minutes uh, to revisit the Christmas story, particularly the role of the innkeeper. Um, it's going to sound like a Christmas sermon, but it's not very Christmassy, so I saved it till afterwards. Um, it's sort of, it's Christmassy in the way that cleaning up wrapping paper that you find three days later is Christmassy, but also kind of annoying. So, um, as you know, the innkeeper gets a lot of crap for turning away pregnant Mary and Joseph, Right? He's often sort of an easy, low-hanging villain for the Christmas story. And it's really understandable. Um, Christmas is in the middle of winter, and the innkeeper feels really cold and calloused. Um, you know, the innkeeper's obviously no saint. He, uh, he didn't heroically throw another paying customer out of his hotel and just into the night disregarding the mattress and bedsheets and covering the room in, in birthing and turning it into an urgent care center, right? I think part of the tradition of blaming the innkeeper comes from how relatable that relationship is, right? Especially around the holidays when you're going home and need to stay at a hotel. Like, we all know the feeling of standing in a hotel lobby trying to get checked in, Right? And your dog tired from your road trip or your flight. Um, and then you're being told by some rude or equally exhausted hotel employee that there's just no way to fit you in. Right? It's so easy to get mad at that hotel worker um, because they won't let you sleep. And that's all you want to do. And it feels like they have so many beds. And why can't you just find one for me? Why won't you just let us sleep? And then when we think about the fact that he did this to a pregnant woman who were a young couple accepting, expecting their first baby, like, it, it gets us even more upset because now they're forced to have their baby outside in the middle of the winter in another town, right? Blaming the innkeeper is relatably infuriating, which is uh, basically the gasoline that the internet runs on. Um, being relatably infuriating um, is what makes a lot of things happen. It generates a lot of clicks. It generates a lot of head nodding around dinner tables. And the innkeeper is a classic relatably infuriating character. But I've come to suspect that the innkeeper is not the real villain of the story. I think the real reason Mary and Joseph are having their baby outside in a barn is because the Roman Empire was run by a fascist named Augustus. Now, hear me out. The fascist emperor of the Roman Empire was probably a well-known and well-hated figure at that time. So Luke doesn't dive deep into 
oh, you, this is a fascist guy, everybody hates him, right? But I think the biblical writer Luke knows that he's the real villain because the story of Luke 2 actually starts a thousand miles west of Bethlehem in a Roman palace. Roman writes, Luke writes, in those days, a decree went out from the Roman Emperor Augustine that all the world should be registered. And when the Emperor Augustus makes a decree, you better follow it. I don't care if you're pregnant. I don't care if it's God's baby. So while the teenage Mary is birthing in a barn in Bethlehem, the Emperor Augustus is a 37-year-old fascist lounging in a palace in Rome, eating grapes and trying to figure out how to make Rome great again. Because Emperor Augustus was a unique fascist in that he was a beloved fascist. Romans loved him. And for some good reasons, right? Emperor Augustus was some, what some might call a very stable genius. Have you heard that term before? It's, it's a term that gets bandied around about fascists. But this actually was true. He was like an actual genius. He came from relatively low, obscure stock. He was adopted by Julius Caesar as his heir right before Julius Caesar was famously killed by the Roman Senate. You know that story, everybody? Shakespeare, they still teach that these days? I never took that class. Um, but Emperor Augustus was revered for rebuilding theaters, roads, bridges. Every week was infrastructure week with Emperor Augustus. And he'd also found a way to win a very bloody Roman civil war that had nearly cut the empire in two. So with wit and roads and bridges, Emperor Augustus had reunited the deeply divided Roman empire. He was so popular that the Roman Senate, who had murdered the previous emperor, just voted to willingly give him all the power over everything. They voted to make him a fascist dictator. The army, the laws, the infrastructure, everything. Everything that he touched seemed to go better in Rome. I'm telling you, he was a beloved fascist. However, like many beloved fascists, Augustus was not beloved by non-Roman citizens. If you were not Roman, you did not like this guy. He was feared and hated. Because for 20 years, Augustus had led bloody military campaigns from Spain to Jerusalem. He killed and conquered millions of non-Roman people. And when he conquered your country, he either enslaved your men, women, and children and redistributed them through the Roman Empire, or, and often and, he installed a puppet government all over the Mediterranean Sea. These puppet governments would then pretend to be ruling your country as an insider, but would actually be taking explicit and direct orders from Emperor Augustus. We call this colonialism now. Back then, it was simply referred to as the Roman Empire. 
One of these conquered people was the small nation of Judea, home to the Jewish people. Now, six years before Jesus was born, fascist Augustus had conquered Jerusalem and installed King Herod as the puppet king of Jerusalem and Judea. The fascist Augustus then ordered a census to be taken so that, so that he could count how many people were in his new country of Judea and therefore tax them appropriately. The biographer Luke writes, Joseph went to be counted with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. So to summarize, a young and very pregnant couple travels 90 miles to their hometown on a donkey so they can sign up to pay taxes to a fascist emperor who has just conquered their country. Merry Christmas! Right? But the innkeeper's the bad guy. So Mary and Joseph show up dog-tired outside the small-town inn it's like a motel made of mud and straw. And of course Mary and Joseph can't find a room. Because this tiny town's hotel capacity was not meant to handle every person who has ever lived in that town and all their relatives. Especially coming home for a census to pay taxes to a fascist. And of course, fascist Augustus couldn't be bothered to set up emergency overflow housing. So I'm sure the innkeeper is pulling his hair out, trying to deal with hundreds of angry, tired people outside his little inn. And pregnant Mary is waiting in the lobby to see if they can squeeze her in. Because fascist Augustus couldn't be bothered to have a travel exception if you're pregnant. He couldn't be bothered to just have Joseph write Mary's name on the piece of paper. No, she has to come too. So while Joseph is arguing with the innkeeper, Mary's water breaks. And as I said before, the innkeeper is no saint. He didn't heroically throw someone else out. He didn't give her a room. But this whole situation is not the innkeeper's fault. The innkeeper, on some level, is also the victim of a careless fascist regime. If I was writing Luke's biography, I would have started by saying, in the years after fascist Emperor Augustus conquered Judea, he ordered that all of his enslaved people had to pay taxes, no exemptions for pregnant women. I mean, if your water breaks outside a hotel in some conquered backwater town, in the middle of the desert, why should that matter to Emperor Augustus? Why does he care? Just tell me how many people to tax. All right, now we're going to time travel 2,000 years into the future to the present day. Everybody with me in the present day? Everybody returned from Bethlehem? I live in South Minneapolis, and during the pandemic lockdown of 2020, I sat in my house for months. We all did, right? No surprise there. 
And those first few months, I only went out a few times a week to prepare and deliver food to struggling families and elderly folks from the church I serve. We loaded up box box lunches, and I drove the little church bus around from house to house. A small team of volunteers and staff were working together to make box lunches. And I was so grateful that the people in my church all agreed to wear masks. I'm grateful to you today for agreeing to wear masks. Most of our local store workers in South Minneapolis were masked up so we could go shopping. The vast majority of the people in my neighborhood agreed that they would wear masks. Except for my next door neighbor. About a month into the lockdown, I noticed they had a kid drawing of a picture taped to their front door. Like a little kid drawing. And I love little kid drawings. Right? Who lo- who's my little kid drawing people out there? Just, I can't get enough of them. Just anything. It could be a giraffe with a short, le- with a short neck. I don't care. I love it. Except for when I looked closer at this particular child drawing, it was a drawing of a blue surgical mask with a big red X through it. It was a child drawing that said no masks and it was taped to their front door. It was wild, right? Because if you all know about South Minneapolis in 2020, there were a lot of signs. But this family had no political signs, nor they had shown any real interest in politics or causes in the five years that we lived beside them. They were actually like a super kind family, right? They were leaders in their preschool co-op. They had cute little kids. They were generous and gracious, like great neighbors, right? The kind of neighbors that when you saw like their faces like above the fence, like looking over at your stuff. Anybody have those neighbors at their house? Like the ones that are like, what's going on over here? It's a free country. I can look, right? I didn't even care because they were so nice, right? I had several conversations with them about work they did with their family to help kids in Mexico go to school at this like little nonprofit they volunteered a ton at. And I'm super passionate about that because I have done work in developing countries to help kids go to school, right? And then a month into the pandemic, they have this anti-mask sign that is, okay, it was really cute actually. Like the sign looked cute, but it was horrifying, but like it was also cute. So they taped this to the front door. And for weeks, I watched people driving in and out of their house and going to work or a family event or whatever. And the longer the anti-mask sign hung on their front door, the madder I got. Right? I mean, we were in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Hospitals were overrun. People were out of work. And this family could not be bothered to put a mask on. Like, in South Minneapolis. And you know what? I started to really dislike this family that I had previously liked. And I don't know if I'm the only one that felt that way about someone in your life, but I'm guessing that there's someone in your life that you might be like vibing with about this story, right? And if you are feeling this way, know that we're going on an emotional journey and I'm not validating all the stops on that journey, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not saying it was good that I disliked them, but I also want to be honest. 
So finally, one day I am just out of my mind upset and I'm mowing the lawn with my mask on and it is like a thousand degrees outside. And I see the kids next door watching me and I stop the mower and I wave at them. And in my mind, I'm thinking, which one of you drew that picture? And I was like, thinking, I was like, wow, that is like the darkest, meanest thought you've had in a long time, <laughs> right? How small are you right now? And then the mom comes out and we start talking and the pandemic comes up because it's 2020 and every conversation couldn't go for 30 seconds without talking about the pandemic. And she tells me that she doesn't like her family to wear masks because it makes her throat itch. And I'm thinking, yeah, it makes everyone's throat itch because it keeps the water vapors out. So your throat itches because we're all dehydrated. I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. But I almost said that to her. But then I looked at her face and the mom was saying it with the most real and sincere concern. Like she said my throat itches with like actual real fear for her children. You could see it on her face. She was actually afraid for her child's health if she put that mask on. Now I'm not here to defend her or anyone else's insane itchy throat theory of anti-masking. And if you're on the internet listening to this and you chop up my words and turn this into like a pro anti-masking thing, I'm not going to be friends with you anymore. But she believed it. She was genuinely scared for her children because she loved her kids. She loved them enough to start a preschool co-op a preschool co-op. Do you know the insane emails you receive to start a preschool co-op? Has anyone ever tried to start a preschool co-op? You're dealing with extremely tired people and then expecting them to show up in a co-op way and, their, and bring their best selves. Ugh. So in that moment, I stepped back. Like, I really tried to zoom out from the conversation we were having about itchy throats and masks. And I tried to remember that someone had told this anti-masking mom to be afraid. Someone had told her to be afraid. And then she had told her children. And then they had very cutely drawn their fears onto a piece of paper with crayons and then taped their fear to the front door. And I don't know who made her afraid of masks. Maybe it was someone at her church. Maybe it was someone in her co-op. Someone on social media. Someone on a cable channel. Someone from a political party. Maybe it was a little bit of everything. But on some level, she was a victim too. Someone she trusted had misled her about wearing a mask. And instead of getting mad at the people who lied to her, I had spent months getting mad at her. I had directed all my anger at her and her kids 
and their cute little drawings. So I stood there, dripping wet, mowing my lawn, and she kept talking about her conspiracy theories and her fears and her masks and COVID, and I just listened. And I tried to listen past all the lies that she had been told, and I tried to hear the love and the fear that she had for her children and her family. I tried to concentrate on her kind eyes and all the things that her family had done for those kids in Mexico. And I did my best. And I am proud to say that I listened for five minutes. And then I couldn't take it anymore. And I went back to mowing my lawn. <laughs> because, like the innkeeper, I am also not a saint. And it was 2020, and it was very, very hard to listen to people tell you that they won't wear a mask because their throats are scratchy. But that is what love looks like sometimes. That is what neighborliness looks like sometimes. And that is what neighborliness looked like at my house for the few, few months of the pandemic. And when I read the Christmas story this year, I got to the part about the innkeeper standing at his front door and telling Mary there wasn't any room at the inn. And all I could think about was my neighbor standing at her front door. And I thought about her kind eyes and I thought about all the things she had done for those kids. And I thought about her parenting co-op. And I decided that I wasn't going to pile on the innkeeper this year. That the real villains in this world are not working class hotel people or moms running preschool co-ops. The real villains are fascist emperors in Rome. The real villains are billionaires flying to space as the world tumbles toward climate chaos. I'm so mad I can't even say it. The real villains are news executives who will tell you any lie that will keep us watching and buying potato chips and all the other delicious things that I love, and they don't care what lies they have to tell to get it. And if we have any chance of changing the world, we're going to need to find a way to love our neighbors. Even when they make us have our baby outside or they refuse to wear a mask. Amen. I shall not be moved Glory, hallelujah I shall not be moved Anchored in Jehovah I shall not be moved Just like a tree That's planted by the waters I shall not be like a tree that's planted by the waters I shall not be moved in his love abiding I shall not be moved and in him confiding I shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the waters
of Mercy podcast. You can experience all this live every Sunday at 5. Check houseofmercy.org for all the details. House of Mercy is a church in St. Paul. You should come. It's not that bad. I shall not be, I shall not be moved.